Welcome to Pot to Popular, a podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstream in cannabis. Join along as we learn from the greatest minds in this industry and learn about how cannabis is becoming part of popular culture, health, wellness, and industry. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Matteo. Today, we're joined by Troy Datcher, CEO of The Parent Company. Troy is going to join us today and chat about his journey from mainstream CPG at Clorox to the burgeoning cannabis industry. Welcome, Troy. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure to be here and, and spend some time with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to dig in here um, and get to know you and have our listeners get to know you a little more. So um, let's just jump into it. Over the past year, um, a number of CPG veterans have jumped over to the cannabis space, you know, like yourself. So as a seasoned CPG executive, give us our listeners a brief overview about your backgrounds, what ultimately led you to your decision to become um, the CEO of Parent Company. Yeah, well, I spent the last three decades, and I know your listeners can't see me, what they'd say is, oh my God, you don't look like you've been doing this for 30 years, Troy. You took the words out of my mouth, Troy. <laughs> the yeah. last the last 30 years, you know, um, with some blue chip CPG companies. So I spent time with Procter & Gamble the first 10 years or so of my career. And uh, the last 22 years of Clorox, had a little hiatus in the middle there where I went to work in NASCAR. But for the most part, I've been brand building for the last 30 years. and. Um, you know, this opportunity came to me I, actually through a recruiter. So if you don't believe in LinkedIn, you should probably start to believe in it as a tool. To Most recruit. of our listeners who know me know that I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I've a little yeah. too much time on it, but I also find it's been an amazing recruiting tool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, if you'd asked me, you know, 90 days ago that I'd be sitting here talking to you about being in this industry, I'd tell you you're crazy because I, I had a very different plan. It was to spend the next two and a half years at Clorox and then go sit on some boards and sit on a beach somewhere. And that was the plan. I put in my time. I built a world-class sales organization globally for a Fortune 500 company. And uh, that was it. Like I was, I'd written a new strategy, uh, putting it into place. We're winning. Like it was, that was a part of the plan. I, I got connected to this opportunity through a recruiting firm and um and a couple of things jumped out at me. One, as an outsider, I was kind of poking holes at the industry because of lack of diversity and the fact that it was kind of leaving folks behind that had built this legacy business. So I was poking at it as an outside observer, like one would do, you know, uh, sitting on the sideline. And then, uh, you know, so when, when presented this opportunity, I thought, well, that'd be kind of hypocritical if you don't jump in that you've gotten this opportunity. And then, you know, obviously I looked at the company and they had all the ingredients to something really interesting. And then you throw Jay-Z and Rock Nation on top of that, like you, you take the phone call and you start having a conversation. And here I am today talking to you about this industry and making a change from CPG to trying to build a CPG company within cannabis. Yeah, and I'm excited to watch all this unfold with you. But, you know, but at this stage of the industry, like your skills and background are hot commodity. You know, people are really moving towards that, you know, commoditization to, you know, a CBG company. So when you were first approached the CEO role, um, what did you believe were the most compelling aspects of the job um, in the parent company business model based on your experience? Well, as I started, I thought it had all the makings of a great company. You know, I, I love food. I always use food analogies. And I, I, tell, I told the team when I joined, it was like having a, you know, a pot of gumbo. Like you had all these ingredients, but if you don't mix it the right way, 
it, it can taste horrible. You can take the same ingredients list. If you don't know what you're doing, it can be a disaster. Uh, so I looked at the ingredients and I thought, huh, there's something really special here. So the making of some brands. So like, you know, there were some interesting things that were happening on the brand front uh, that I thought I could help with. Um, you know, I looked at the purpose that the company has stated around dedicating funds to support black and brown entrepreneurs getting in the cannabis space and, and dedicating a percentage of the profits of the company every year to that cause. So that purpose really spoke to me. And, and then I started looking at the opportunity to bring talent over uh, from CPG as, as the, the business was evol- is evolving. And I saw that there could be a really interesting mix of ingredients that could make it a really interesting next career journey for me. And Kennedy in a very crowded space helped the company stand out. So for me, uh, it was really a kind of a rich, the richness of all the ingredients that were there on paper and the great job the team had done before me to lay out a foundation that I thought was really compelling. Yeah. And I want to jump back into, you know, the parallels between, you know, cannabis and CPG or really, you know, how we can, um, you know, meld those. But I, I do want to jump into something you talked about. So your CEO announced and made headlines around the country for many reasons, including the fact you're now the first black CEO to leave a publicly traded U.S. cannabis company, which is so incredible. I'm so proud to be working with you guys. What does this milestone personally mean to you, right? Um, and how do you hope to leverage your leadership to galvanize other leaders to make industry more accessible uh, to black and brown entrepreneurs? Well, it's really humbling when you put it that way. I you know, just spent the weekend uh, down in Los Angeles with a group of really uh, powerful, influential uh, folks in the black community at uh, Ebony Magazine has this Power 100 list. I've been fortunate enough to be named to that Power 100, 100 list twice in 2015 and 2020. And I was there this weekend celebrating the honorees. And there's an obligation I think we all feel um, that once we reach a certain level of accomplishment, that we have to reach back and pull others along. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you had there not been folks who uh, took this really, um, you know, int- well, some would say interesting, but not that smart guy from Alabama, this kid from Alabama, put their arms around him and and took an interest in me. And, um, and I'm do- trying to do the same thing. It's just, you know, pay it forward. And so I, I actually am humbled by the recognition, um, but I, I think what's important for me is when people meet me, I, I, I find that uh, they're, they walk away saying, well, if Troy could be a CEO, then I could probably be one too. <laughs> so hopefully I'm, I'm making uh, it, you know, it, hitting the, getting into the C-suite and becoming a, a chief executive officer, um, a more attainable obje- objective for folks because they meet me and say, hey, if that guy can do it, I certainly probably can do it too. And but but seriously, I'm here to make sure that you know the things I've learned, um, the lessons that I've been able to uh, pick up along the way that I'm just sharing with others. And people have done that for me, and I plan to continue to do that. And, and if you look over my 30 year career, there's a theme that runs through it, which is uh, is inclusion and diversity. And I have built diverse teams because I've seen that diverse teams win. They bring better debates better ideas and that diversity spans the spectrum from race to uh, ethnicity to gender to sexual orientation you name it um you mix all those things together and you get some really good conversation and ultimately good ideas and so i'm just hopeful that uh, me sitting in this role can be 
inspiration to others that that they can achieve it too. And and I was just in Vegas at MJ Biz and got a chance to meet some folks who who read a lot about the announcement. To your point, you know, uh, the team has did a good job of letting the world know about the announcement. I'm no longer some anonymous figure walking down the street. Sometimes I feel like I've uh, I've I've, uh, I've been uh, outed a bit in terms of like who I am. And um, and the good news is this: is that I'm getting folks walk up to me uh, saying, "Hey, can we establish a relationship? I'd love to tap into you. I have some questions about my career, about the industry, and uh, for me, that's really rewarding." I love that, and I think also like your experience in building diverse teams. Like we're in cannabis, like the spectrum of cannabis consumers, and you know and enthusiasts, it really spans like every demographic, every age. So more of that, right? More of this diverse, like internal teams. Cause like, that's how we want to be represented across the industry. And I think it is what really makes change or it really is. Absolutely. I mean, you, you have to be reflective of the communities in which you live, work and serve. And that's when you're going to hit the mark in terms of making impact and, and driving connection is when you've got the right voices sitting around the table. I've seen it time and time again, and I think this industry is going to benefit from it. And we're going to lead the way in terms of showing it as an example of how you can build a really effective team. I love it. And talking about connections, we'll, we'll shift back a little bit to where we were. I, I want to take a moment to examine like the connection or link between cannabis and CPG from your perspective in your seat. What do you think that the cannabis industry still needs to learn from traditional CPG? And conversely, what can CPG learn from this new cannabis industry? Well, how much time do you got? <laughs> All day for you, Troy. I'm excited about this conversation. So, it's so, not often we get somebody like really, really built like a real, real CBG company that we get to talk to, but you know, about cannabis. Yeah. Let me have it. Yeah, you know, uh, the first thing for me is, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about building brands, but the behaviors and the words really don't match. I've actually had the opportunity to sit up close uh, in the room involved as we built brands over the last 30 years at those blue chip companies I mentioned earlier. And there are certain rules to building brands. And I'm seeing not a lot of that brand building, that long lasting brand building behavior in the industry, which I think is exciting for us, is if we apply really solid brand building principles, then we, we can build something very different than what other people are saying and actually not doing. And so for me, that feels like a real competitive advantage. So as I recruit traditional CPG marketers to come help us build out this framework uh, to touch consumers and meet their needs and talk to them in a way that uh, resonates, uh, I feel like there's an opportunity for us to stand out in a very crowded field. So I'm excited about the fact that uh, maybe the industry hasn't really caught on to this brand thing. I mean, you know, I, I see a lot of things with names on packages at price points that aren't quite brands yet. And um, we have an opportunity to build brands and, you know, Monogram Jay-Z's um, cannabis brand is one of those that has really the great makings of a great national brand. And um, and I, I don't want to give away any of the trade secrets just quite yet, but but it has the making of, of something pretty special. And I think once people see that outside of the state of California, they'll point to it and say, oh, that's what a brand looks like in this space. Um, yeah, and I don't give away too many trade secrets, but I think, you know, for people listening, some people don't understand the difference in between, like, pretty packaging and what's the brand. So yeah. give us just, you know, a little, like, education. What is the defini- definition of a brand? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's multifaceted, but, you know, at the center of it is a promise. It is a promise of an experience that is consistent time and time again. Um, it is a delight factor that you get that uh, allows you to talk about the brand when no one's paying you to do that. You know, you call your friends and say, have you tried this brand before? You should try it and let me tell you why. It's that word of mouth, that excitement that's generated organically um, that you don't pay for that is, is at the heart of building a brand. It's purpose. Why does a brand exist? Um, is it doing more than just banking money? Is it actually contributing to the world in a, in a more meaningful way? Um, and you know, those are some of the fundamentals that I think are interesting. And you know, I um, there's a lot of gimmicks out uh, to get people to try your brands. There's some unprofitable ways to get people to stay interested in your brand, uh, deep discounting and giving away product and things of that nature. And no, brands don't really stand for those things. And so I, uh, you know, that that is just a few of the things that we'll bring to bear uh, as we build our roster of brands is um, really staying tried and true to understanding that we have a promise to fulfill and that we will do that day in and day out. Now, you also asked me, um, what, so what can CBG learn from cannabis? Speed, speed, go faster. Uh, make decisions with less data. You know, I would wake up every morning over the last 30 years and I had so much data at my fingertips every day to make decisions. I wake up today and I'm trusting my gut a lot more than I have data. And, um, and I'm relying on my team's experience to, to make decisions. And that to me is liberating. It's actually, you know, once, once somebody told me once, uh, why do you think we pay you all this money, Troy? We can debate if it's all this money. When I was working in for another CPG company, they said, why do we pay you all this money? And I, and I went down like market share growth and went through these check all the boxes of what I thought they wanted to hear. And they said, no, we pay you for your gut. I love that. And I so that, that's really that, that gut instinct, that experience bringing it to bear, like moving with speed. Um, CPG can learn a lot from that. I think, you know, we overanalyze things. We have, reams of data, 90% of the information to make a decision before we make one, when I think you could probably make that same decision with 60% of the information. I love that. Um, I think that's like super interesting, right? Like it, the cannabis energy isn't, isn't that bloated yet, right? So it, I love that speed of it. But, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, delivering on the promise. A lot of it has to do with consistency, right? So, you know, of a product and issues with the consistency and supply chain are still a bottleneck for most brands and operators in the space. I'm sure you were aware in your short tenure at, um, you know, at the parent company. So is it possible to essentially copy and paste, you know, uh, standard operating procedures from like a Clorox or a PNG into cannabis supply chain? Or do we really do need to develop a completely new systems given that it's a completely new industry? How do you look at it? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of both, but I will tell you there's a challenge um, of, of trying to replicate everything uh, over and over again uh, by state by state. You know, the great thing about most companies in CPG is you can have several manufacturing facilities, a few, that can produce a lot of products with great quality um, within a fraction of, of the quality from building to building, uh, literally with no difference at all. Um, and, and cannabis, as we all know, that you've got to be vertically, vertically integrated um, in order to control that quality. 
And to replicate that across every state that's legal um, is, is pretty cumbersome. And so, you know, there's a long way to go, I think, um, in terms of getting a supply chain similar to the efficiency that a CPG company has, which is why I think partnerships will be really critically important. You know, I think we, we've taken the right approach within the state of California, vertically integrating. I think it's the right thing to do in terms of this environment. But we're also working outside of the state of California with, with partners that we're vetting right now to see if they can deliver against the quality expectation that we have for our product, but help us with the asset light, asset light approach uh, as we expand outside of California. But yes, it is a challenge, um, you know, especially when you're talking about flour versus other forms, um, getting that consistency through the supply chain from state to state is a huge challenge and one that we've got to wrestle down to the ground in the short term. Now, long-term, you know, when federal law catches up with public sentiment and we can ship things from California to New York or California to Michigan or to other states of Florida, we won't have that problem. And uh, if we build the right infrastructure in California to supply the world, which is what we're doing, uh, we're going to be in great shape, but that'll take some time until the, the laws catch up with, uh, you know, where the business model needs to be. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, and talking about partnerships, you know, during your time um, at Clorox as VP of sales and sports marketing, you play a pretty instrumental role in developing partnerships in the NBA. So with more athletes becoming uh, cannabis investors, entrepreneurs, you tend on cultivating similar brand relationships. How do you guys think about partnerships without giving away too much? No, uh, you know, partnerships are going to be a big part of, of who you are. We, 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 you know, if you look at our portfolio today, they play an important role. There's obviously organic brands that we've kind of grown from the bottom up. So Kaliba, for example, or, um, or Monogram, we, we've grown those brands from the, from the ground up. There are partnerships uh, that we have with celebrities, folks like Santana, for example. Um, Mickey Hart, Mind Your Head, is another brand that we have a licensing agreement with. And we, so those partnerships are really important. And then there's a lot of folks knocking on our door saying, hey, we, we have an idea, um, but we need help with, with distribution and manufacturing. Uh, and if, if Jay-Z trusts you to build a brand, we, we trust you to help us. And so I see partnerships as a really great opportunity for us to build out our first party association with brands. Uh, you know, as I think about the fact that we have now 11 dispensaries and 80% coverage in the state of California, being able to have a robust portfolio of brands to put front and center in front of the folks who enter our ecosystem that we own together with, with, with key partners really is an, uh, a, a really critical piece of, 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 the, of the puzzle that we're, we're building. So I'm excited about partnerships. Uh, I, I've seen one plus one equal three many, many times. Uh, if you can uh, have the right people at the table to, and you're strategically aligned, and that's what we're vetting right now. Um, and obviously we've got a little bit of experience there, but, but my objective is to build out more of those partnerships because I see them as, a, as an advantage for us long-term. And yeah, again, the partnerships you guys have brand, oh, I'm sorry. As the, the partnerships you guys have now are just unbelievable just in terms of like, the authenticity, you know, we, we worked on you know, some of that Santana launch and like his deep history with cannabis as part of like, you know, his life growing up, you know, you, you can't build like a better, you know, relationship, somebody who really believes in the plant um, and has that authenticity. Absolutely. Everything in the world starts with authenticity. Uh, there's going to be a lot of quote unquote celebrity brands, uh, people that enter the space 
because they can have a percentage of the profits come back to them because their name and likeness are associated with that. That happens in every CPG um, you know, segment. This will be just like that. Uh, but the question is, is it authentically tied to um, the, the person, um, whether that's through purpose, like we're doing with the equity fund, or is it through um, lifestyle choices that have been exhibited for many, many years that are part of a person's DNA? And trust me, I've, I've had some relationships before that weren't authentic. You know, I worked in NASCAR for many years and I was selling sponsorship. And, you know, you can't have someone pushing burgers if they don't eat meat, you know, it just falls apart at some point. Um, you know, I had a driver once who didn't consume wine, but we had a wine sponsor. I'm like, oh my God, that, that doesn't work. No, it does not work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, I think when you find authentic ways to connect, um, it's a false multiplier. So that, that, that that's a true piece of brand building that we'll uh, hang on to and we'll look for those opportunities where it makes sense. Yeah, and speaking of that opportunity, uh, during your interview with Benzinga Capital Conference uh, last week, um, by the way, we're talking in October, guys. Um, you guys unveiled plans to ramp up uh, the parent company's D2C business, which I know was like a lot, uh, big part of Kaliva's business early on. Uh, with so many brands trying to do the same, what makes a parent company strat- uh, strategically positioned to seize on the D2C opportunity? Yeah, uh, let me tell you why I think D2C is so important. And then I'll jump into like, you know, kind of the secret sauce for us. But you know, for 30 years, I really, 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 really wanted to have this intimate relationship with, with consumers. And I longed for it, you know, and we was always kind of at arm's length, like from them, because, you know, you spend time innovating a product, marketing the product, getting ready to, to, to launch, and then you hand it over to other partners to launch it. So I have to hand that product now over to Walmart, Amazon, target other people. And, and, and all great partners, but it was not my ecosystem. Like what's different about this approach, obviously, is that we are, have a relationship from seed to sale and to own every single touch point of relationship. So if the quality is not good, they can blame us. If their experience in a dispensary is not the best, they can blame us. If, if the, the order that comes to your doorstep is late, or not complete, guess who, what? You can blame us. It's not a point the finger at a third party partner. I love the fact that we, we get a chance to touch the consumer at every step of the way. Uh, it allows you to, to really build a promise um, that you can keep uh, because you own all aspects of it. So what's different for us? The secret sauce for us is really understanding the promises that we're making every step of the way. And so if you're expecting a delivery, you want it with that two-hour window. And you're going to build your entire day around that two-hour window. So if we're not within that window, it really screws up the rest of your day. That experience, no matter how great the product is, no, no matter if it was complete or on, if it's not on time, the promise is broken and the contract's broken and everything falls apart. So it's really delivering the pro- against the promise and making sure that everyone in that organization understands their role in, in delivering against that. And then for me also, uh, you know, the thing that is kind of really set us apart is attracting the right talent to help fulfill that promise. So, um, you know, I won't tell people publicly where we're recruiting from, but they're not from other cannabis companies. Um, They're going to be from people who have delivered this promise and expectation in other 
areas of consumer products, packaged goods. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of people who do delivery, but there's a few people who do it really well. And those are the people I'm knocking on the door saying, hey, we could use that talent in this industry. Come and join us on this journey. General, what does the state of DDC cannabis look like in California? So the state with the most advanced DDC delivery. Um, and what kind of infrastructure are you trying to build over the next years to support that? Yeah, so I, I, you know, one of the things I mentioned I was excited about is owning this relationship for in the end. One of the things that you get when you own the relationship for in the end is data. So all the insights that we'll get along the journey uh, are incredibly important for us so that we can make smarter decisions at every part of that journey. So I, I really, it's, it's the data that we'll gather. That's kind of the, uh, the thing we're, we're building for. It's how do we take that data, turn that data into insights that allows us to then obviously build a very diff- different relationship with uh, that consumer than they're, they're getting today. You know, I, I think we all today expect personalization whenever we are uh, dealing with brands. You expect a brand to know who you are. I mean, if the, if the email doesn't say, hi, Rosie, you're not gonna open it. And if it doesn't reference like your purchase patterns and the things that you pre- you prefer, you, you think of it as spam and junk mail. So how do you make sure that you're, you're actually speaking to that person specifically about their needs and data helps you do that. And so we're building that machine to make sure that we can take advantage of all the rich data points that we're getting uh, because of the relationship we're building across uh, our interaction with them from seed to sale. Yeah, and you know, uh, to dovetail off of that, what's your long-term vision for the parent company in terms of either the business or their cultural impact? Well, you know, we've stated that we want to be the most impactful company in cannabis. And I I like that phrase because it's pretty open-ended. What it means is an interpretation, I think, for every member of the team. For me, impact means we're going to have really happy consumers in our ecosystem, people that we satisfy, we build loyalty with. You know, I I, I grew up in Alabama and there's a Chick-fil-A like every uh, corner. Um, and uh, I love what I love about a Chick-fil-A sandwich is not just a sandwich, but the service you get when you walk in the door. Now I go to a store in California, I'm getting the same Southern service that I get in Alabama, I'm getting in California. That uh, that that joy that uh, that is provided through that relationship, I think is an important one. And so we're going to work really hard to make sure that we have happy people that we are um, dealing with within our ecosystem. Secondly, we were working to make sure that our employees are engaged. And so how do we have an impact on their lives? How do we build, as we build a company, you know, what's exciting about the acquisitions we made recently is now I can talk to folks on our team about career advancement, about all these opportunities that they can have to grow because we have multiple uh, avenues now for them to grow in their career. You know, they can, they can move to another location and take on a, a, another job to move up in terms of responsibility and uh, with aspirations of helping to lead this company one day. And, and so engaged employees is, is a, a pretty impactful thing that I've seen um, just make a difference in organizations that I've worked for. And then the third piece of impact is really um, something I referenced earlier is making an impact on the communities in which we live, work and serve. And, you know, our social equity investments are are a big part of that. You know, 
really proud of the work we're doing with our two first social equity uh, investments. Josephine and Billy's is a dispensary. They're kind of open this fall in Los Angeles. And, you know, we really worked hard with the team to make sure not only that we give them the funding to be, um, to, to be successful, but my team is really engaged and involved in helping them understand the business model required to be successful within cannabis. So how do we help them pick the menu and pricing and merchandising strategies? And how could I be there as a CEO to lend my expertise and uh, energy, albeit 30 days into the industry? How can I lend that to the team so they can be successful? And so I'm really excited about the fact that we're making an impact on communities and giving people an opportunity to opt into what's going to be a, a really you know emerging fast growing uh, segment of, of our economy i love that and and to close up being 30 days in this is the best question to ask you because most people i talk to have this you know a couple years of jadedness about being in the industry because it is such a tough gig what are you most excited about about the industry and about you know what you're going to do at the parent company well i've had the opportunity for the last three decades to help shape categories this is an opportunity to shape an industry. So how it looks and feels, you know, we'll have something to say about that. That is incredibly exciting. The fact that it's still wet cement, um, there's still a long way to go. We're in this infancy of, of building out uh, an industry that can have an incredible impact on people's lives. If we do it the right way, um, it, it will, it, it, we will be at the forefront of that. And that is incredibly exciting for me. It's what got me off of this, you know, plan that I was on just, you know, 90 days ago to try something very different. It was the hopes that we could create something that would be beneficial beyond just uh, shareholders, but to obviously to the people and the communities in which we are uh, a part of. And that to me is, is pretty darn exciting to be on the ground floor. And, you know, I think uh, in hindsight, I've been searching for an opportunity like this my entire career. I work for some great companies, both have been around for over hundred years. You can't really reinvent the wheel sometimes with organizations that have been around for hundred years. You can kind of keep it going. Like don't screw it up Well, what's happened the, the first 90 years before you got here. This is at its infancy. You know, the parent company is less than a year old. If it's gonna be a hundred year old company, um, the people that are on the ground today are going to be the reason why. Uh, the decisions we make today will be the decisions on whether or not we survive. That's pretty darn exciting and scary, too. <laughs> I love it. You got me excited. Troy, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait to uh, watch you on day 60 and day 600. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for what your team does for us at the parent company. I'm excited that we have a relationship and we're going to continue together.